I'm Jeff Eichler. And I'm Kirsten Rickert. And we are the hosts of the Getting Unstuck podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Howie Berman. He's the executive director of ACTFL, the largest organization in the U.S. serving the needs of language educators and learners. Our focus is on ACTFL's recently released statement on supporting language educators and learners. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. By the way, don't forget to share and subscribe. And uh, hey, could you help me out? Surely you know somebody who hasn't listened to Teaching Learning Leading K-12. You know, family member, colleague, best bud. Yeah, there's somebody that you probably know. So why don't you go to them and say, hey, you really should take a listen to Steve on Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And uh, here's an episode. And by the way, while you're at it, why don't you subscribe? He's really a good guy and he's got great subjects. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. And you ought to take me up on that. (laughs) I'd love it if you'd share it. Just find that one person. (laughs) Take care now. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Howie Berman is an association executive with nearly 20 years of experience working with nonprofit membership organizations. He currently serves as executive director for ACTFL, the largest organization in the U.S. serving the needs of language educators and learners. As ACTFL's chief staff executive, he is responsible for continuing to enhance ACTFL's reputation and influence in the language education community while overseeing the implementation of all policies and actions approved by the ACTFL board of directors. He is passionate about making ACTFL's mission of, of providing vision, leadership, and support for quality teaching and learning of languages a reality. Howie has also held the positions of Chief Operating Officer and Director of Membership and Administration at ACTFL. Prior to his work at ACTFL, Howie held positions at the American Society for Cell Biology and the American Society for Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics. He received his BA in Political Science and Spanish from the University of Richmond and his MA in Middle Eastern Studies from the University of Chicago. Howie holds a Certified Association Executive designation from the American Society of Association Executives and serves on the Executive Committee of the Joint National Committee for Languages and the Trust for Ensuring Educators. Howie is also a member of the AAAS America's Languages Working Group. He is a frequent presenter and contributor on topics such as language advocacy and outreach, the seal of bioliteracy, and teacher recruitment and retention. Howie, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And by the way, I have just experienced how many times can I say ACTFL? <laughs> So we actually call it ACTFL, but that's no problem at all. Not now, a problem. now you tell me. ACTFL. I know. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll work on that one. That, that works really well. So, Not uh, a problem. <laughs> cool. So uh, glad, glad that you're here on the show. And uh, uh, before we get to our main topic today, can you explain what ACTFL is, is and who makes up its membership? Sure. So ACTFL is an individual membership organization. We have uh, about 13,000 members, uh, language educators, uh, administrators. We go from pre-K all the way through graduate level. 
We have members in all 50 states. We have members in DC. We have members in the US territories. They represent uh, more than 60 different languages actually taught, which is quite amazing. We say from Afrikaans to Yoruba, uh, not quite to Z. We, I don't believe we have any Zulu uh, teachers right now. Um, and our mission is really simple. It's to provide vision, leadership, and support for quality teaching and learning of languages. Um, we're known for the actual proficiency guidelines. We're known for uh, our work with the World Readiness Standards. Um, and we're also known for um, internationally known uh, language assessments that we offer, uh, as well as our convention and World Languages Expo, which is kind of our flagship event. Uh, this year, it's going to be held virtually in November, but normally we have that in a different, year, uh, different city every year. Uh, we were actually known as the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages until about a year ago. Uh, we went through a bit of a rebrand. Um, and the reason for that was uh, we, we decided to go by the acronym only ACTFL. Um, one, because we're uh, really trying to be known as more of an international organization, but also the word foreign is really a little more uh, anachronistic now. We're trying to get away from foreign. It's a little more world language, more just language, uh, focusing more on this, this issue of diversity and inclusion. And so we're now known, by, known as ACTFL. Um, but we've added this tagline of language connect. So it really tried to show that um, power of language as a way to bring people together. So language is really a bridge. So, so that's, that's a little bit about ACTFL. Cool. Appreciate it. And uh, I wondered about that because I, I, as a former uh, high school principal, um, I had many uh, um, staff members who were a member of this organization in the past. And, and I was wondering, because I was looking around, I'm like, now I know this stands for something. And, uh, <laughs> and I, then I started running into where I'm like, aha, I think I figured this out. There's been a, a kind of branding change around the name. So There has. Times change and, and names change with those times sometimes. Absolutely. So I appreciate you explaining that. That was, uh, um, although you would have, I should have reached out to you sooner because it would have saved me a lot of time looking around. I'm like, I think I know. Anyway. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Oh, it's cool. So, you know, I got to ask you this as the executive director of, of ACTFL, what's your focus? I mean, and what I'd like you to do is talk to me about, you know, that idea that you would like to spend most of your time on if you could. Sure. So, <laughs> I could give you sort of two different answers because all right. um, there's, there's really no shortage of work at Actful. And I think I, I kind of joke because <laughs> there's no two, diff two days that are really different when it comes to what I do. Um, in fact, usually when I come in, well, now I come in to my spare bedroom in my house because I'm, work, I'm working virtually. But um, when I come into my office, um, the day is never sort of what I, I plan it to be. And I think that just kind of speaks to a lot of the uh, the changing times. Um, you know, we have a strategic plan that sort of has these five pillars that we really try to focus on. Uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, outreach and advocacy, uh, teacher recruitment and retention, uh, research and professional development. So those are these five big goal areas that we're already, that we're always looking at. And I work with the board and I focus on these strategic goal areas. Uh, and that's great. And they're really important. Um, and teacher recruitment and retention is a, is a huge part uh, that I really focus on mainly because it's an existential issue, right? I mean, if we don't have teachers, we don't have this profession, right? Um, but I really see my role a lot like a, a myth buster almost because there's a lot of myths about language and language education. Um, you know, my job really is to convince a lot of the decision makers, uh, the people in power, 
um, why it's really important to learn languages, um, why it's not as difficult to learn languages that people, you know, people nowadays, I think they think language is a lot harder than it really is. It's kind of this difficult thing. It's this unattainable skill, um, why it opens up career opportunities and why it really just makes you a better person. You know, why it helps with these connections, you know, why it helps you learn about other people. And, you know, and now, nowadays, I think that's something we really need more of. We really need to teach people how to connect, how to learn about each other. And so that's, that's what I love to focus on. I love to focus on the, the, the personal side of language, what it can do to, to help us learn about each other. I love that. That's cool. That's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great way of doing it as well. You know, it's, you know, I, uh, for the longest time, the, uh, through high school and college, I took uh, German because that was my focus and uh, learning German and, uh, and uh, I could definitely uh, um, still do some translations better than I can speak. But uh, talk about opening up a culture by learning their language is Absolutely. Uh, very eye opening. And, uh, you know, over the years, having run into uh, different aspects of that, and I have my family uh, um, background is uh, Italian, the heritage from back ago and it the language stopped with my father but i have an uncle who still um, goes back and forth to the country and practices the language on me he likes to see me go okay speak english i don't know what you're talking about but <laughs> he's working yeah. on me so <laughs> sure sure but uh good stuff so uh uh so let's talk a little bit about uh something that uh um Ackville, uh um, released in, in August of 2020, ACFIL released a statement on supporting language educators and learners this fall. Uh, the opening sentence says this, there is little doubt that the COVID-19 pandemic changed what teaching and learning looked like this past spring, but it didn't change ACFIL's mission to provide vision, leadership, and support for quality teaching and learning of languages. Could you share the purpose and inspiration for releasing the statement on supporting language educators and learners this fall? Sure. So, we all know that this has been a really difficult year for a lot of people. Um, like I, I mentioned, I, I've personally been working from home since mid-March. A lot of people have been working remotely. Uh, my children have also been home since then. So you can imagine um, what, what that has been like. And that's been a reality for a lot of people across this country. Um, at ACTFL, we saw a huge transition. We call it, quote unquote, the pivot, um, where our members were suddenly asked to go from, uh, you know, brick and mortar classroom teaching to, vir to uh, virtual teaching. Uh, and for the most part, uh, most of them had never done that before. We had some, we actually have um, a number of teachers who uh, distance teaching and learning is what they do for a living. That's, they've been professionally trained to teach that way. But for most of them, they have not. And so, um, there's this sort of assumption that teaching remotely is simply flipping on a computer, turning on a web camera and teaching the same lesson plan that you would in a classroom. And it just the fact is it's not. And so we had to really um, engage with our members and the profession at large to offer them um, some incredibly an, an incredible depth of resources to help make that transition and I was really heartened by I think the collaboration that we saw amongst our members in the profession as well people really sharing with each other um, resources and things that they found so they could so they could make this transition as easy as possible and it wasn't 
even so it was not an easy transition. And we, we offered a number of free resources, whether it was, um, you know, offering free membership, free webinars, uh, uh, access to free eBooks. Uh, you know, we really tried to make this transition as easy as we possibly could. Um, you know, and then the summer came and we realized that this, the effects of the pandemic were not going away. And the fall was, there was still a lot of uncertainty with the fall. And there was sort of this process where we saw teachers were really lauded and really um, given a lot of credit for what they had done. But that had sort of worn off a little bit. Um, and I was, um, frankly, a little frustrated. And many of us were frustrated. You know, when I saw things like, um, I was getting emails from teachers uh, asking me for recommendations on what kind of face shields they should purchase when they go back to school. And I'm thinking, why are they coming to me, the executive director of a professional membership organization? Why aren't they going to their administrators? Why aren't they going to the school system? This is the kind of stuff that they should be providing to their teachers as a basic support, right? Um, and so it became really clear to me that they just weren't getting that support that they needed locally. And I felt like we had to just put down some markers, right? And just show these are the things that we need to do uh, for teachers at large. A lot of the stuff in the statement, uh, while it's obviously specific to language educators, it really is, um, it really translates to educators at large. Um, you know, I'm really concerned that um, if, if we don't support educators, um, we are facing a, a generational crisis for, for, for teachers. Um, we're going to lose teachers. We're not going to be able to recruit teachers. And so we had to really make these recommendations, you know, in the context of the long-term viability of the profession. So that, that's really the impetus behind it. Gotcha. You know, and, 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 and just a side note, because we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a scary thing there if the teachers are reaching out to you for, um, um, for asking you about face shields and things like right. this, when that should be coming from their school systems, their state and uh, localities. And, uh, and I can't imagine that if they're asking about that stuff, if uh, many of them were thinking, you know, the insurance industry looks interesting. Um, and, yeah. and that's, that's where, um, you know, we have to, we already were in a, across the nation in a state of, uh, you know, I guess uh, weakness when it comes to the number of uh, teachers going into the profession and so forth, because it's kind of dropped over the years. And, and I'm talking about education as a whole. And uh, um, so that would not be good because we're starting to kind of see a little more interest in it again. And uh, now <laughs> if, if they're having to get their own mask and such, that's not a good thing. So I, to understand that would be uh, that would be an eye opening question though. If you started getting a lot of emails and things like that, as opposed to, uh, you know, what would be a good degree for me or whatever. So, right. Good stuff. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, it, early in the statement, let's, let's get into the statement and early in the sure. statement, this is noted. Uh, there are real concerns that language educators will be unable to meet the needs of their learners, not only this fall, but into the future, if federal state and local entities do not intervene. What are some of the biggest needs of learners do you think will be difficult to address? Well, I, 
Look, I go back to the existential question. I, I think, you know, in the most simple terms, it's being able to ensure that there are enough teachers to meet the needs of the learners. Um, I, I have serious concerns about how this pandemic is going to affect um, teacher recruitment and retention. And if we don't put more funding into things like teacher prep programs, uh, mentorship, professional development, uh, making college more affordable, um, and giving uh, language, aspiring language teachers access to loan forgiveness um, at the, the same levels that their colleagues in, say, the math, math and sciences have, then we, we run that risk of, of them not going into the profession. Um, you know, and, if, and it's a domino effect, right? So if, if you don't have enough teachers, then you, then you give schools and districts the justification to cut programs. So it's this domino snowball effect. Um, and then less students get the opportunity to learn a second language. And to us, that's just unacceptable. We're living in a more globalized society. Um, there are, there's an increased need for language access, not a decrease, uh, not a decrease need. And so in a, in an era where we know budgets are going to be cut, we have to make this case or we, we run the risk of these programs being cut and we run the risk of losing teachers. It's, it's really, to me, it's very simple. Um, that's, that's the risk. I, you can see that that's, you know, it's interesting being in education, this is my 33rd year in public education in the state of Georgia. And, you know, over those years from being a classroom teacher to uh, a, a high school principal, the, uh, one of the things that, and then you go back to my own education, looking back on it, you know, it, typically the, for, the, the languages that were taken by students in those days were um, French, German, um, Latin, and uh, maybe you might have a couple others that were out there. Um, like I, I knew someone who had access to Japanese and so forth. The uh, um, Spanish, how did I forget Spanish? <laughs> and, uh, um, but over the years, it's interesting because like I took German and Latin and uh, in, in school and in, in college. And um, many of those programs, all you have to do is look and you see across the country how many of those programs have uh, kind of kind of like have numbers of attrition and so Spanish and other languages have kind of risen to the top whereas many of the um, traditional Latin-based languages like German and uh, and Latin have uh, and in many cases French have uh, disappeared or uh, or in danger of that um, so losing the teachers in any language that we're teaching can possibly cause, I would think, <laughs> a little worrisome that, uh, you know, it, any and all of it, if somebody starts thinking that only a computer can do it, then, you know, we'll just deal with it. Oh, absolutely. 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 And just as a side note, I have to say that, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing like a, a language class to participate in with real human beings <laughs> to interact with because that uh, you learn rather quickly, uh, if you're saying it right, or if you're not saying it right. And, uh, and it just makes it that human interaction, I think makes it a little bit better. So, sure. Absolutely. Not that there's anything wrong with the zoom meetings, but it's just not quite the same either, <laughs> nor learning from a computer. So, but, uh, yeah, I didn't mean to imply that I'm anti-tech, but <laughs> no, and we love, and we, you know, we at Actful love technology. We just, again, we see it as a kind of a complementary piece to, to, uh, a, a, a trained educator. 
you know, it's, it's, it's one, it's sort of one piece uh, to the puzzle. It's awesome. I mean, that's just, yeah. it, just it makes it, I, I, to me, it, it adds, you know, the, the, the adult in the room or the, 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 um, the adult, the human interaction is what makes it fun and enticing to want to know more and yeah. pursue more. So. Yep. It has to be engaging. Absolutely. Most definitely. The, uh, uh, so Agfil is making, um, there's five, uh, five recommendations in support of the language education community. Uh, let's talk about a couple of statements. And the, the first one is prioritize educator and learner health and safety. And the second statement is include language educators in the decision-making process. So let's talk about these two recommendations. Sure. So they, the first two really go hand in hand, actually. Um, and I, I'll, I'll start by saying that I wish, I wish we didn't have to even state them, to be perfectly honest. They, they seem quite obvious uh, when you read them out loud. But, um, you know, that the health and safety issue, look, you know, regardless of how teachers teach, you know, whether they're in a hybrid model, whether they're fully, uh, you know, in a brick and mortar classroom, whether they're teaching remotely, um, the health and safety of, of the teachers and the learners, by the way, this is not just about, about uh, the educators, should be a priority, full stop. There, there's, no, there's no caveat to that. Um, and, and the schools and the, and the districts, and, and this is not just K-12, I mean, higher ed institutions should also be taking the lead on this as well. Um, and they should be, look, we're, ACTFL is not we're, not, we're not doctors, we're not scientists. So, you know, our recommendation is they should be using, taking advantage of the best scientific information they have at their disposal, and there's plenty of it. They should be, that's what they should be using. Um, the, the teachers and the students, they should have access to, to the uh, personal protective equipment. You know, that's something that they should have access to. Um, but I also think that there's a component that we often forget about, and that's the mental health resources that I think um, the, the stress and the anxiety that this pandemic has put on so many of our, of our educators and our, our students, those resources have to be available. Um, I think, and oftentimes uh, when, when budgets are cut, those are the things that are sort of cut first, those social services. And so we've, we've got to actually kind of flip the script a little bit and we've got to make sure that those are the things that we're really prioritizing because it's critical. Um, we've got to be uh, really focusing in on, on mental health and, and social and emotional learning, that sort of thing, because um, you know, this, the pandemic's gonna have long-term effects on a lot of people. Um, and when we talk about including educators in the decision-making process, again, it seems really obvious here, but you have to say it. And when we talk about the virtual space, um, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I've heard stories where two weeks before the, uh, a district was going back, um, they decided, a, a particular district decided to buy or purchase a, an entirely new learning management system and then told the teachers, okay, this is what you're going to be using this year. Nice. So <laughs> the, the district was involved. The, you know, the administrators were involved. Uh, but the teachers who were actually going to be the ones facilitating and teaching, they didn't, know, they didn't know. They had no say. Now, they're the ones who know the most about their learners. They're the ones who are going to have to be teaching. 
and yet they're not part of that process. You know, again, as I said, technology is a complementary piece here. The technology doesn't do the teaching. The technology allows you, it, it helps you do the teaching. The teachers teach, the educators teach. We have to remember that, and the educators know what's best for their learners. So we can't just, you know, and there's no easy fixes, right? I mean, I think there's this, again, there's this thought that we're virtual, so somehow the virtual environment replaces the teacher, and that's just not the case. This is, this is, just, a, this is just a vehicle. It's not the actual teaching itself. So uh, we just need to make sure that we're including our educators uh, in these decisions because ultimately they, they know what's best for the learners. Oh, I think that's powerful. I, that's why, and that's why I included those two together because I figured they kind of, kind of really sit well. It, but uh, the idea that, uh, by the way, I, it's really sad when, you know, you're, if you were buying some great system for, uh, for language teachers, for foreign language teachers, or for the language teachers, you don't include them in the decision about whether it's good or not. You know, many of us have experienced over our careers <laughs> where yeah. things like that have happened, and. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's one of those things where you're like, uh, you know, right now, uh, you know, Homer Sis Simpson has this great sound that he makes when, you know, and it just fits very well right there. And, uh, um, cause it's like, why, why really, that's what you're going to do. I, um, you know, so it's, it's sad that that doesn't happen because, uh, they do need to be included in those decision-making processes and, and be able to have a voice so they can actually say when it's not a good idea to spend that money. Cause maybe you really don't didn't need to spend well, it, on that thing. Well, and it's counterproductive for the, for the students too, because you know, you never want to really, you never want to really make big changes like quickly, like right before a school year starts. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> and, and the learn and the, the students tend, you want to do things, you want to stick with things that are comfortable and familiar because there's already, been so many new variables that have been introduced in this virtual environment. So let's, let's give our, our teachers an opportunity to be successful, right? When we continue to add additional variables, we are increasing the chance for them to not be successful. You know, I mean, it, it, to me, it, it seems pretty cut and dry, but you know, I'm not the one making these decisions. So I guess uh... <laughs> it's, I, I understand, you know, there's, there's any number of these types of decisions that, that uh, over the years you see get made and there's things that they, you know, it can be, if you don't think about space and the, there's any number of things just with the classroom. Right now I have in mind something that I remember experiencing where um, they were, um, uh, it was a sound system that uh, it lowered from the ceiling and it had all these uh, headphones that sat in these little sure. troughs. And uh, what was problematic was what was on either side of that, that lab. Um, Cause it was an awesome lab. Now they didn't involve a whole lot of uh, teachers in the thought process here, but on one side of those walls, I believe was a biology lab that used a lot of power. And so when you hooked everything up and you turned all the power on, you kind of shorted out the circuits <laughs> for the hallway <laughs> and they had to fix that. That was, <laughs> Ooh, didn't think about that. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, any number of things. So uh, uh, cool. I, I appreciate you talking about that. You know, um, one of the things that uh, um, it, the third statement is focus on equity and access. 
what's Sackville's focus here? Well, it's, you know, it, it goes back to our strategic plan. The first pillar of our strategic plan is diversity and inclusion. And we see this also as a, an existential issue when it comes to the profession. Um, when we look at equity and access in terms of the pandemic, um, we know that the, pan the pandemic's had a disproportionate effect on, on low-income households. Uh, we know it's had a disproportionate effect on communities of color uh, with respect to, to COVID uh, positivity rates and the economic effects in terms of job loss. And we also know it's had a, a really um, a disproportionate effect on uh, in the education sphere. Um, so, and we see this manifested in, in a couple of different ways. So we know that, for instance, um, low-income students, uh, students in rural areas, uh, uh, Native American students, for instance, they lack sufficient devices. They lack sufficient access to internet. Um, we also know that um, hundreds of thousands of K-12 teachers, not students, but teachers actually lack um, sufficient internet access at home. And there's, there's even uh, data that shows that upwards of 100,000 K-12 teachers in the United States don't even have a device at home. Many schools don't provide devices for their teachers. So you've got an issue, not just on the learner side, but also on the educator side. We also know that they, there are a number of students whose parents' first language is not English. So now these students who normally, um, you know, they would be in the school, uh, they're at home, the person who is helping them is now the parent. The parent has some limitations because that instructional material is not available in their first language. So access to language now becomes a kind of a basic need. In my mind, it's a basic human right in effect. Um, and so in order for you to address that equity issue, you've got to have instructional materials and other resources available to the families in enough languages that match the linguistic diversity of the community. So you can imagine what that means, and, you know, producing materials in dozens of languages in communities all, all across the country. Um, that's, a, that's a huge undertaking. That costs money and that takes time. Um, you've also got students with disabilities. You've got students with um, IEPs, you know, with specialized needs. Uh, they, they need access to paraprofessional staff. Um, like I was saying with, um, with uh, mental health staff, oftentimes paraprofessional staff are the first staff who get, who get cut when there are budget cuts. Uh, these students need this type of support more, even more so, because when they're remote, they need someone on the other side of, of the camera to help them get them through the day. So these are just some of the areas where that equity piece is really, really critical. And I think we're, if we don't address it, we're going to see an even widening, widening gap. Oh, I think it's important. I, Cause I know that, you know, one of the things I'm in a, uh, I work in a very rural area of, uh, of Southern area of Georgia. And I mean, in my systems, just to kind of the number of dirt roads and, uh, you know, it's interesting 
before all the the pandemic stuff, you know, it was, it, and it still is because we've had to deal with a couple of these since then, but we have lots of dirt and clay roads. And when it rains really hard, instead of snow days, we have rain days. Yeah. And that was something I wasn't used to because I had done all my work in Metro Atlanta and, and uh, you know, that didn't happen. Well, it has to do with access buses being able to get back to where they are and pick them up and uh, get them to school. Um, when you have those rainy days like that, a bus will slide off into the ditch. And uh, then you got all these kids on a bus in a ditch, you know, not a good yeah. thing. Well, the same sort of thing with access because uh, many of them, you know, par part of the problems being solved by uh, um, companies that are providing uh, Wi-Fi hotspots, putting them on buses and moving the buses into church parking lots or into, mm -hmm. um, you know, a community area that's central to where they are to try and have them so they can come to that hotspot and connect. But just like you said, even with, you know, one of the things I've experienced is also adults who, the teachers who they live in some of these areas and their access, you know, I think there was better connectivity with the moon back in the in 69. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it takes a little while. It is for texting. It's even funny. If you want to see something funny, I have a text sent. And so I've actually had some of the school systems use our building, bring some of their teachers in so they have connectivity and access to devices. So I completely uh, to, to see where you're going and it makes sense to make that part of that. What have you had quite a bit of interest in, uh, you know, in, uh, in your membership and being involved in the kind of, kind of where I'm going with this is in the development of this, these statements and, and we're getting ready to go on to the last part of them. I mean, where'd the ideas come for, for this, especially like that uh, number three. Well, look, we, Again, like I said, our strategic plan really diversity and inclusion is a huge part of our strategic plan. Um, I, I think, you know, and when we go into sort of the, the pipeline of teachers and we talk about the diversity of our, of our educators also, I think there's we want to make sure that uh, we're focusing on equity because it's existential. Right. So we need um, we need to make sure that we have. Uh, a pipeline of teachers who sort of mirror the students. Uh, and if we don't, it, we run the risk of not being able to produce um, enough teachers down the road because you, you want to, you want to have teachers, you want to have students feel like they can have teachers who look like them, who sound like them, who they can look up to. And if they don't, there's, there may be less of a chance of them thinking about going into the profession down the road. So, I mean, that's really why we, uh, we do this. And I just think we, we need to, uh, we just need to be more intentional about how we, how we focus on, on equity. I mean, language, language is a, is this concept that, you know, we, we talk about language for all, right? Like we want, it's a, it's, it's a basic need. Um, and so, uh, if there are, boundaries or, or, or obstacles to providing everyone language, then that, that immediately becomes an, a, a, an equity issue that we have to address. And it's fundamental. Yeah, it makes sense. Understand. You know, the, the fourth statement, you, you started talking about it, is invest in a pipeline of well-prepared uh, well prepared and diverse educators. Uh, let's, let's, let's go a little deeper into that because you start hitting the nail on the head. The idea that they have teachers that look like them uh, may have their background a little bit more understand them, but also just a pipeline of well-prepared also. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so we know that 
and the data is a little difficult to nail down because frankly, different states report differently, but we know that most states, it's uh, some, some we, we say it's 44, maybe 46. Uh, in some places I've seen it's upwards of 47 states report uh, a shortage of language teachers in this country. Um, it's the fourth largest shortage area by subject wow. um, in terms of uh, shortages uh, of, of, of teachers. So that's pre-pandemic, okay? Then you throw in this issue of how the pandemic is affecting the education plans of certain groups, um, certain identity groups in this country. So for instance, there was a survey that came out in um, Inside Higher Ed a couple months ago that showed that about half of Hispanic students um, and about 40% of black and Asian American students were either changing their education plans or outright canceling their education plans for the fall. Think about that. And think about what that means for the future of teacher prep programs and that pipeline. Um, if, if those numbers are accurate and what that could mean for the future of of education and, and, and for preparing teachers. So this is really an existential issue when it comes to addressing that pipeline. Um, there are some really great programs that are in existence that can help address this, but they need funding. And so one of the things that we've talked about is, is really demanding that Congress act now. So there's a program called the Hawkins Centers for Excellence program. And it's a, Basically, it's a program that is used to, to fund uh, uh, teacher prep programs at, at um, like HBCUs, uh, MSIs, you know, um, programs for uh, minority students, um, underrepresented students. Uh, there's also a teacher quality partnership grant program. Uh, these are just programs at the federal level that can um, make education more affordable for teachers and attract those students into these programs because we've got to do something to make, uh, to kind of remove those obstacles to education. Uh, we, like I said, we've got to be more intentional about this. Otherwise, we're, we're going to lose a generation of educators. And that's not, you know, I don't want to be gloom and doom here. Uh, I, I, like, I, I think we have a great opportunity. I mean, I think, you know, I'm tr I, I try to see this as a real opportunity, a real positive. I know this is, there's some real, like, awful data that we're seeing, but I think it, it, it kind of mobilizes us and it gives us a chance to really act. And I think that's how we should see this. Um, so we can, you know, we can really say, look, this is the time for us to show that we really respect the profession and we really know how important it is. And we can, we can, um, you know, put the, the resources into it that it deserves. Oh, that's just uh, so spot on. I mean, it's, you know, one of the, the lack of the resources, you know, the cutting of the, the budgets and such, which, you know, we have the fluctuations in our society that happen. And so it, we've got to figure out though, how to still support programs and, 
Um, you know, it's between um, languages and uh, performing arts. Those are usually two, two areas that automatically get the, <laughs> the first ones to go. And, sure. uh, and unfortunately, those are very important programs that, uh, you know, that kids find interest in and, and want to, you know, have some idea about maybe instructing or teaching down the road or whatever. And, well, and there's, and there's a laser focus on STEM um, and, and STEM is very important. I mean, what we, what we always try to say is we think language and STEM together are an incredible duo uh, and a necessary duo. Like you, you need that lang- as, as, as the world becomes more and more globalized, you are going to need those language skills. So if you have engineering and language, if you have, chemistry and language, if you have physics and language, if you have computer science and language, that only makes you more attractive of a candidate in a globalized society. Most definitely. Most definitely. The, uh, you know, just, uh, and, uh, throughout, throughout the world. And that's, uh, something that's gotten, um, it's all, to me, it's always been there. I mean, a part of my interest in German was for that very reason. And, uh, but the, uh, um, not just history and, uh, the focus on engineering and all sorts of stuff from the, from the country. And, uh, and that was, that was part of that reasoning there. And today, you know, just any number of countries that, uh, you know, if you want to um, get into engineering, depending or construction management or any of these types of uh, programs, having a language from some of these other nations that uh, have massive building going on is a big sure. kudo for you. And uh, so that's yeah, good stuff. You know, just as a side note, I was talking to someone today who's a tech person, you know, who's a technology person. And, you know, one of the things that, because it is easy to get caught up in doom and gloom, because one of the things I, I don't like hearing voices that think that, oh, you know, we, we, this might be, we can do away with the teachers and we'll just do it all on, on, on uh, Zoom meetings like this. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, we, we can go back to statement number one, which is uh, the stress levels right now are just out the wazoo. Right. But I can come back to that because what I want to talk about is the one uh, a cool positive that came out of this discussion, which is understand a little bit more about the flip model. Not that I'm, I'm not sponsored by anybody who <laughs> nobody's paid me to say this, but the idea of being able to flip the classroom so that if you you worked up uh, um, different activities and such and put them on your website and then when you had the Zoom class, you know, you could uh, I, I think there's a little bit it, it's kind of interesting how some adults in the classroom are, are figuring out how to use the technology to help make the, uh, the virtual meetings a little more engaging. Sure. So, Absolutely. Cool. And so I see that happening, which is kind of a neat uh, sort of thing that didn't see coming. So, but uh, you know, it, good stuff. And I, I, I think that, uh, you know, like you said, that, that pipeline, it's gotta be, you know, cause you can't, just can't put anybody in a classroom and you'll find out right away if they're prepared or not and um, being able to get them, um, so find the support, the monetary support in the different communities. Very important. So the, the, let's, let's go to the fifth and last statement, which is make professional development widely available. Let's talk about this. Sure. So I think we, we sort of take the concept of professional development for granted when it comes to teaching. Um, teaching isn't a static profession. You don't go into teaching and then suddenly you don't have anything more to learn once you become a teacher, you know? (laughs) Right. And I think, and I think the pandemic, if nothing else, it, that it taught us that, wow, we've got some things to learn. Right. Um, You know, and like I said, you can't, you can't simply throw teachers into a new environment uh, without 
giving them the tools they need and then expect success and then blame them if things don't go the way you were expecting them to go. It's not fair. They, they only want what's best for their learners, but you've got to prepare them. You've got to give them those tools. Um, and so by, by providing teachers with professional development, um, by giving them access to that professional development, you're not only uh, improving student outcomes, but you're, you're sending them a message that you value what they do. You value their profession. Um, and it, that's going to then address the, the, the retention issue and the recruitment issue, frankly, because people are going to feel respected. They're going to feel like it's a profession that they want to stay in. Future teachers are going to feel like it's a profession that they want to look into going into. Um, and I just think, you know, by if you increase the funding uh, for professional development, that's, that's important. But you also have to give teachers the time off to take advantage of professional development. So that's another part of this. Um, a lot of teachers don't get that opportunity uh, to, to take time off for professional development. Um, they deserve it. They need it. And frankly, their students will benefit from it. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent. Look, in my profession, I, I do professional development. I know in a lot of other professions, they're, they're expected and it's part of their job. Why aren't teachers um, afforded that same opportunity? Um, they should be. Oh, so much so. And, and if you think about just, and I'm a huge proponent of, they also need to be able to go someplace where they interact with other people. So they expand their network. And because there's nothing, you know, and talk about making you feel like a professional is when you go to those activities and you're at some place and, uh, you know, and when you're interacting with others, you you start developing people that you call on when you run into these um, different situations or whatever that can help you as well as, uh, um, you know, understanding and seeing a different way of looking at things. And then when you talk about a language teacher, if they can actually have some of that professional development or, or take, you know, can support a, a journey of theirs to be able to go someplace that um, is in their, their, the language that they teach. And that's even, to me, that's even, you know, the cherry on top. <laughs> it's just like, Oh my sure. gosh, the ice cream, that's the, that's the dessert that you want. Cause it's uh, uh, because then they get, uh, they, they have all those experiences. I mean, it's um, that they bring to the table um, to, to help the kids. That passion excitement is what generates those kids who want to, or helps generate those kids who want to teach it or want to ex at least pursue the language further and uh, maybe in the, the culture f further as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. So let's, let's kind of shift gears from the, the statement for just a minute. And um, I'm a huge proponent of educators joining and becoming active members of their, for their professional organizations. Now, why should they look at becoming a member of ACTFL and participate in the, and notice I say, and participate in the organization. Yeah. So, we love to, we really love to think of ACTFL as a community. Um, it really is. It's a, it's a place where people share. Um, it's, it's 13,000 plus members, but um, there is this real spirit of collaboration. We have a very robust online community. Uh, even before the pandemic, that was a place where people would go and they would, you know, I'm having this issue. Uh, here it is. Uh, I'm in this state, in this, I, I teach this language. Um, and someone would post and people would immediately um, post re responses. It's, it's this, there's this real collaborative um, desire to help uh, each other. 
Um, when we when we constantly when we do surveys and we survey our membership, um, the number one reason that people join uh, or, or and stay members of Actful is is they say it's it's to belong to belong to something greater. Uh, it's not necessarily the magazine or it's the it's the the convention or or these other benefits which are great and people love them but they always say it's to they want to belong to something greater than themselves and i think actful really provides that opportunity for um you know a collective this this collective uh concept this collaborative spirit um it gives up it, it also gives people an opportunity to give back to the profession i think we we really we really uh, focus on this concept of giving back, you know, through advocacy. We have a very um, active uh, volunteer base when it comes to being advocates for the profession. We kind of, we, we focus on that being kind of almost like a part of your job as a teacher, that you should be advocating, not just for the profession, but for yourself, for your own job and your, your own, um, your own sort of uh, respect as a teacher. I mean, that's really something that you should be doing and advocating for your colleagues um, and for your students. And so we have a lot of people who volunteer. Um, and I just think it's, it's, it's about that respect. It's about the, the collegiality and people just feel like it's a, it's a home for them. Um, it, is a, it is a large umbrella organization. We don't focus on one particular language. We don't focus on a level. We don't focus on a particular uh, type of, of uh, you know, subgroup or anything. We, it's, a, it's a place where a lot of people can come and, uh, and learn together. And I think that's why, that's why it works. Um, yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Howie, if someone wanted to connect further with you, it, it, we're drawn to a close here um, it, or, it, or they want to learn more about ACTFL and ACTFL's statement on supporting language educators and learners this fall. Uh, where would you send them? Um, they can go to our website. It's actful.org, ACTFL.org. Um, they can also follow us on social media. It's uh, ACTFL on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, I would also suggest if you're interested to check out um, our annual convention, it'll be virtual this year. Normally we're in a different city, but this year we'll, we're virtual. So if you go to actful.org, check out our convention. Um, we're really excited. Uh, I think we're going to have a really great program this year and uh, a lot of fun surprises, even though we won't be able to meet face to face. So check that out. Very cool. And I'll have uh, those links in my show notes. So all they got to do is go to my show notes page and uh, um, the website will be there as well as links to social awesome. media. So Thank good you. stuff. You're welcome. So last two questions and there are questions I like to ask my guests. One of them goes like this. Um, when things get difficult or there are too many issues all coming at once, Howie, and, and you want to quit, how do you overcome <laughs> those feelings and keep going? Um, I think, how do I not actually? Because, well, look, <laughs> I have been really fortunate to work for an organization for 10 years that has given me a lot. Um, and I have seen um, the goodness of the profession that I, that I serve. Um, the people who teach languages, uh, our members, they do this because they love what they do. They don't, they're not doing it to get rich. <laughs> they're not doing it for accolades. Uh, they're doing it because they 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 know how powerful the gift of language is. 
they do it because they know how important it is for their learners. Um, and that's, that's really what it's about. Um, they, they know that this, that language brings people together and our members, despite a lot of obstacles and, you know, especially everything that's happened this year, um, they continue to do it. And if they can do it, given all those obstacles, I can get through a bad day. And that's what I tell myself. So every time I'm having a bad day, I think about our teachers. I think about what they do and, you know, sort of the, the, um, the challenges that they face every day. And I tell myself, Howie, suck it up. You can do it. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind. It could be a lot worse, right? So it, it, it could be a lot worse. Absolutely. <laughs> So the last question is like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I do. Um, I had a high school Spanish teacher. His name was George Doring. Um, he was a, a quirky fellow, um, kind of a silly guy. Uh, he taught me a lot, not just about Spanish. He was, he was very... Uh, very involved in the, the town that I grew up in, very civic-minded, taught me a lot about civic engagement um, and why I should be involved in politics and just to know what's going on in, your, in the world around you. Um, but he also got me really excited about travel. Um, he was the reason I went on my first trip abroad when I was 15 to Spain. Um, I was a uh, shy kid at the time, um, and that trip really was a real confidence booster for me because it was the first time I used the language in, in, in a another country. Um, and so that I, I like to think of that sort of setting me on the course for where I am today. So unfortunately, um, Mr. Doring left this, this world, uh, goodness, I think 15, 14 years ago, um, too early, but yeah, I would, I would thank him for, uh, the lessons that he taught me and, and for, for really setting me on this course, I, I probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't be at Actful if it wasn't for Mr. Doring. So thanks. Very cool. Awesome. But, uh, Howie, thank you so much for talking with me today. I appreciate you taking the time to share Actful's statement on supporting language educators and learners this fall and, and just talking about uh, the organization itself and uh, all the good things that are, are going on in this world right now. It, it's great commentary and thoughts and I wish you all the best in all you do. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.